The listeners are probably familiar with a concept that's been around a while, but it's starting to get some traction now, a concept of zero trust. And, and zero trust is really that, uh, that acknowledgement that we can't trust the underlying infrastructure. So we need to implement controls from a security perspective or a data assurance perspective to secure our data irrespective of where it goes. On today's show, we're talking to Paul German. He's the CEO of Certes Networks, and we're talking all about a new approach to security that's led by data. This is Tech Talks, your twice-weekly technology podcast with myself, David Savage, where we talk to leaders from across the industry and bring you some technology news and opinion. Joining me today, we've got Hayley uh, on the back of another exciting weekend in lockdown UK. Um, well, how many films did you watch this weekend? Or how many TV series? Or Oh, I know. Like, how many... It's who you watch, so you go mad. I'm not sure. Yeah. But I feel like I just, it's, it's sick of telly, basically. Oh, yeah. I find myself sitting there with Netflix, just like, there is nothing I want to watch. Although, yeah. um, because there's so little to do, I've resorted to doing stuff that I did when I was 11 years old. Like what? Painting little fantasy figurines. Wow. <laughs> wow okay yeah that is quite geeky but I'm, I'm i'm i mean arty as well i like it that right, sort of takes time like i really enjoy doing puzzles and things like that you see i hate puzzles i'm awful at puzzles but when i was a teenager like 11 12 13 years old we used to go to france on holiday and there was basically no kids to play with my mum and dad took us to the middle of nowhere and i, I was just on my own so when i was when i was about that age I used to enjoy doing like model aircraft and stuff and Warhammer, which is these fantasy figurines, were also like these these things that I took ages painting. Um wow. so it's good though. Christ- <laughs> oh no, so I already just started, but but for Christmas, I said to my sister, I was like, You're not gonna you're gonna think this is a bit weird. You know all that stuff that I used to get when I was eleven. Can you get me more of that? Because I'm I'm gonna do some painting when I'm bit, bored out of my brain. It's a bit nostalgic. To be fair, it's quite nice just to turn the telly off and do something like that. Blast from the past. Just anything to stop myself scrolling. Um, I mean, I watched Bridgerton in, in basically one sitting, so... Um, Did you? I a- need to watch that, actually. But you know what? This year, it's like my res- new le- year's resolution is to get off of, like, socials. Not to get off it completely, but just minimum, like to a minimum. Read more. I've got a lot of books, to be fair. I've got a lot of books to get through, so I need to start doing a bit more reading. Yeah, otherwise you just turn into these social media zombies. That's what we are. Or just sitting in front of the telly like, mm. Anyway, <laughs> I think um, having discussed our non-event of weekends um, and me having shown you just how geeky I can be, uh, let's talk about Certes Networks. Today's guest is Paul German. He is their CEO. We're going to be talking about data assurance. Um, so please do stay tuned. Afterwards, we'll have some commentary and then we'll have a bit of technology news. So today I am joined by Paul German. Uh, Paul, you're a CEO at, well, you're the CEO rather at Certes Networks. How are you this morning? I'm very well, thank you very much. How are you? Yes, good, thanks. Good. Uh, just, well, we're at the start of lockdown too, right? So uh, oh, yeah. uh, 
how is that? You've you've got school aged children, right? Are they are they they are still at school though? They are they are still at school, yes. So uh, so you know the uh, interesting part or the the the, uh, the interesting part of the day now is the school run because it enables you to get outside of the uh, of the house. So uh, so I'm very much uh, putting my hand up to uh, to take on that responsibility for the next month. Yeah, it's odd, isn't it? All of a sudden, your kids have way more freedom than you do. They do indeed. They do indeed. <laughs> How does that feel? Because that's a, that's a massive role reversal from traditional kind of family life. Yeah, it, re- it really is. You know, I mean, I um, in in the role I, uh, I I play here at Surtees, you know, I spend I used to spend uh, probably uh, fifty to seventy percent of my time travelling. So I was out out the house. You know, we very much use technology as a family to to, to stay in contact, and uh, and I was actually physically located with the people that I'm working with. But uh, but however, that that's now sort of done a, a full hundred and eighty degrees, and I'm using the technology to uh, to interact with people that we're doing business with, both internal and externally and I and I have the uh, you know the physical contact with uh, with my family and children and you know there's clearly that's an upside so uh, so you know not saying that uh, that uh, I, I don't enjoy it but uh, but you know I do look forward to where we can have a bit more balance so you know yeah. a bit more time at home but you know a bit more freedom to travel as well and hopefully we can get over this as quickly as we can. So look, anyone who's not familiar with Certes Networks, uh, Certes Networks, you deliver software-defined security, about 7,000 product installations around 70 countries worldwide. You mentioned there that your job has drastically changed. I can imagine running a business like that to suddenly being at home for the vast majority of the time and running it remotely. Um, Very quickly, though, in in your own words, if someone's not familiar with Certes, how would you describe the business or define it? Okay, so we work with organisations that uh, that very much have to focus on the security of their data, uh, and the reason they have to do that is either they're a government or a public sector organisation, um, or they're what we term a, a high assurance enterprise organisation. And and how we how we really uh, categorise that is an organisation that uh, is bound by some element of regulatory compliance. So uh, so whether that be <clears throat> excuse me something like PCI, uh, whether that be GDPR whether that be um, HIPAA in in the US, um, you know, something where the data that they're carrying across their environment is uh, is sensitive in nature and needs to have the appropriate controls uh, attached to that data as it traverses or as it travels across the uh, the uh, the underlying network. So so how we uh, how we really talk to our customers is uh, is is not so much about the technology that we deploy. But really understanding or helping them understand what they need to deliver in terms of business intent and how we can provide them with the necessary outputs that uh, that they need to have as a business or as I say, a government or public sector entity to be able to prove at all times that their their sensitive data is being secured or or, or being classified according to the the business intent, the business requirement, and that uh, at any moment in time, those uh, those required controls are in place and functional so that uh, should any mishap happen, let's say a network compromise happens, that they can be sure that data is, uh, is, is protected according to policies that they've created and defined um, using access keys, so encryption keys that only they have access to, which is a, a very much imp- a very important part of what we deliver. You, you mentioned there something that's quite interesting. You, you talk about a network compromise. When people talk about security, they often do think of securing that, that infrastructure mm-hmm. um, as opposed to data. And obviously, 
you're protecting data. You don't want your network to be compromised so that data can be taken off that network. Yeah. But there is a subtle difference there, right? There is, there is. And, and one, one of the biggest challenges is, is, uh, is certainly in today's um, um, uh, technology world, is that um, actually we, we, are, we are introducing problems by the decisions that we make around how we, how we deploy infrastructure within our organization. So, you know, the, for, for example, let's look at the uh, sort of WAN technologies that we're using. So how, you know, the technologies we're using to transmit data between our locations. Well, well, quite often those technologies are, are bought in technologies. So the services we take from a service provider. So our data is going across an environment that we don't own and if we don't own it then how can we trust it so um so we very much have to put the ownership of our data in the hands of our service providers and we have to have confidence that they can provide the necessary controls to secure our data as it travels across their network well as we all know um things happen uh, in, uh, in 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 networks in te technological environments um you know let's say uh, misconfiguration how do we always have confidence that our data is where we think our data is? So we have to be prepared for the, uh, for, for, for the, for the condition where our data may end up on a network that it wasn't intended for. Let's say there's a misconfiguration in the service provider network or our own people start pushing data into a cloud instance, for example, that is, isn't probably properly configured from a security perspective, but, uh, but from a routing or routing infrastructure perspective, it is. So our data can get there, but is it secure when it, when, when it gets there? So we, so as security officers or security personnel, we have to let our infrastructure teams have this, this, um, agility to, to make decisions that are beneficial for the business, but with the knowledge that the security controls we have in place, um, provide the, the necessary assurances that we need as security professionals that our data is secure at all times, irrespective of whether it's on a network that we own and trust or it's on somebody else's network. On, on talking about that network that we own and trust mm -hmm. and in terms of the mindset change in switching from it not just being about the network but being about data assurance is the fact that you know i am working today you are working today you are sat in your home in milton Keynes. i'm sat in yeah. my home in west london yeah. that is not the network of the organization that i or certainly not the way that the the organization i work for intended i suppose for me to access uh work and do work when 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 we were when we were kind of back even 12 months ago, has yeah. that helped that acceleration in terms of that mindset change in terms of switching people from thinking, okay, it's less about the network. It's far more about how we look after that data. It's starting to, it really is. And, and, um, and the listeners are probably familiar with a concept that's been around a while, but it's starting to get some traction now, a concept of zero trust. And, and zero trust is really that, uh, that acknowledgement that we can't trust the underlying infrastructure. So we need to implement controls from a security perspective or a data assurance perspective to secure our data irrespective of where it goes. And obviously with our, you know, the, the, the many, um, uh, 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 differences within our organizations are, are based around location. So where our, where our staff reside, 
Um, you know, and as we, as you just mentioned, it could be working from home. It could be in a, in a, in a, in an owned office or facility. It could be on a partner location. It could be on the end of the 4G or 5G connection. Um, you know, while they're traveling between, between locations, but also our applications, our applications can be on data servers that, that we own and are in a, a data center that we own. It could be on infrastructure that sits within a cloud environment. You know, we've got all of this agility that we're building into our, into our, uh, into our organizations and we just you know we can't tie security into the infrastructure because the infrastructure needs to be agile so so yes you know the fact that we've now had this uh, this pandemic forced upon us it has made people start to think very differently about about both security and information or data assurance. So how can I have flexibility within my organization to help us continue to operate even at 80 or 90% when I've got everybody working remotely or in, a, in an ad hoc location, but without compromising my overall ability to be secure or if I'm bound by regulatory compliance, be compliant with the regulations under which I'm, I'm, I'm controlled. You mentioned there about staff being based pretty much anywhere in flexibility and and you know how are we bound by the regulations uh that, that that kind of govern us um you know regulations perhaps such as gdpr show how important it is to protect data but then you could suddenly find yourself in a situation where your staff were based in one place but are now based anywhere mm-hmm. and i suppose making sure how, how do you if you're a truly global organ even you know in small organizations could now be truly global you could have i suppose 20 staff in 20 different countries all adhering to various different regulations how much of a of a um a headache is that especially for enterprise organizations when trying to make sure that they are securing data properly and adhering to regulations okay that's a really interesting question and and the complexity comes from trying to tie your security posture to the underlying infrastructure because if you if you depend on if or if you have a dependency on knowing where your users are before you can introduce a security policy or insecurity posture for that particular user then then there's there's a, a massive overhead there but if you if you make your security posture um, elastic in nature, using attributes that are that can identify individual users. Maybe their their username. You know, we, we we're very familiar with directories. So directories being able to identify who a who an organization's users are, um, defining what they should have access to in terms of maybe resources or or data internally. If you can if you can combine those uh, those directory type functions. And uh, and then use some other attributes to to not necessarily understand where the user is, but understand are or is the user accessing um, my network from a known device or a trusted device? Um, you know those those sorts of things. Then all of a sudden you take the network out of the consider a layer of consideration, and um, and you're building your security posture around things that you can control. And that's that. You know when when I'm out and I'm I'm meeting with CIOs and CISOs, you know one of the biggest things that that, that we talk about regularly is that with security, it's all about understanding what you can control. And, um, uh, you know, because if you try and control things that you can't control, you're going to have a false sense of security, excuse the pun, a false sense of security around how your 
security posture is in in intact at, at any point in time. And also, if it's if it's bound to the infrastructure, and somebody within your infrastructure team again makes an inadvertent mistake in configuration, or part of the business makes a decision to 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 you know bring on a new cloud service or introduce a new service provider uh, into the uh, into the environment that sec the security team doesn't know about. Then again, your data may end up somewhere where you can't enforce the policies that you need. And if if you're not addressing security from a data assurance posture or information assurance posture, the moment that data hits that 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 environment that you're unaware of or that you're not in control of, your data is not secured according to how you need it to be from a from a business perspective. You talk there about meeting CEOs and meeting CISOs. You know, we're talking about this being a data breach. It's not a network breach. We're talking about, you know, you don't necessarily need to think of, of software WAN, but software-defined security. Yeah. Is there, you know, if you even go back kind of five or 10 years, the CISO or the head of security was sometimes someone pulled from the organization and they were given this thing that an organization didn't really understand. And then maybe they were coming from the network side because that kind of made some sense. Is this redefining the makeup and the the skills, the assets that, that that a CISO has to have, and shifting it more towards an engineering mindset and a software mindset and understanding data in itself rather than understanding the plumbing of an organization? Yeah, ma massively. Because um, if if you look at my role, for example, when you know as a as a CEO of a of a business, you know running running uh, running thirties networks. Then, um, then I have to have a consideration in terms of if we're non-compliant with uh, with a certain compliant level of compliance that we have to conform to, then uh, then you know the risk to the business is not just oh you know we might get a warning and we can uh, we can remediate and uh, and move on, but I'm actually introducing risk to our board of directors to our to you know to to a level higher than me in the uh, in the organisation, and you know when you start. When you start looking at, at corporate liability, corporate responsibility, you know, and 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 those sorts of things, you know, you, you have to really take the role of the CISO or the uh, the CIO away from where it traditionally was, and uh, and as we've seen with things like GDPR and new levels of, uh, of regulatory compliance, you know, we're now introducing direct dotted line reporting responsibility from CIOs and CISOs, certainly CISOs. Data protection officers, chief chief protection officers, directly into the board. So, so from our perspective, we actually um, update our board regularly from a CISO perspective in terms of where we are at in terms of the compliance that we need to meet. Because our business has a has a you know will have a direct impact if we're non-conformant or non-compliant in a, in such a way. So, so for me as a as a CEO, when I'm outward facing to our customers. So when we're talking to the CIO, the CISO, then we are very much talking about how are you reporting your your uh, your vulnerability status, your compliance status, you know your your risk status up to your uh, your board, so that uh, so that they can be sure that you have the necessary controls in place, and um, and that's why you know when I was when we started this conversation. We were talking about, you know, not talking about technology. We don't really talk about technology anymore. We talk about what are the needs of the business. And that's why we, we talk about business intent. So understanding what does the business need to do as an input and as an output being, um, you know, observable results 
that uh, that provide a, a firm foundation for whoever needs to see that data, a board of directors, a CIO, a, C, a, a CEO, so that they can be sure at any point in time that the necessary controls are in place so that if they do have a, a network compromise, the data is assured according to, to policies they've defined using encryption keys that only they have access to. So it may be leave a bad taste in their mouth that their network has been compromised, but there's a there's a sure, you know, there's a, an aspect of surety there that the data hasn't been compromised. So it's reassuring to know that the network compromise has net, not led on to the more important aspect of data being sensitive data being compromised within the environment. Look, so so a quick question um to 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 finish on um if you are you know you're talking there about the needs of a business and and the conversations that are happening at a board level yes. we're in the run into christmas it's, it's it's likely to be the the busiest time of the year when it comes to uh people being online the weather is getting rubbish the nights are longer uh so therefore you know whereas in lockdown one people were maybe trying to find ways to be out the house this time they're going to be in the house they're probably going to be on devices more they're going to be doing things like christmas shopping uh, yep. we already know that there have been a huge amount of breaches this year it is likely to get even more um uh or even more of a of an issue over the next two months so yeah. what kind of conversations what kind of conversations should trigger someone who's maybe not thought about these things to go you know what i need to pick up the phone or i need to get in touch with someone who can help me out it really is around uh, that uh, that point that we made earlier around control if a ciso feels in control then then for me um, there's a there, there's a there's a false sense of security there because almost every CISO that I talk to um, is 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 looking at you know not what they're aware of in terms of in terms of you know areas of potential compromise within their within their businesses or, or areas of vulnerability. What they're more concerned about is what they don't know. You know, so so it's 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 what are they unaware of that may come and come and impact their uh, their business. So they're always willing to learn. They're always willing to talk because they want to understand what is it that uh, that they may be missing. And that's where we have some really fruitful conversations with uh, with CISOs because they they very much want to learn. They want to understand perspective. And what I mean from that is somebody like myself talking cross industry, cross role. Um, CIOs, CISOs, they they want to understand. Well, what are you hearing from other other um, um, uh, customers in the same segment? What other customers in in maybe uh, if they're a retail house, let's say in utilities, in finance, yeah, so that they can they can start to learn. So so what I would say is that is that any organisation that, uh, that that sat there right now um, thinking about you know what more can I do to 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 better enhance the security posture of my organization is is just pick up the phone and have a conversation with us we don't we we're not pushy a pushy sales organization quite often our customers just listen to what we have to say in terms of what we're learning from the uh, from the wider market and they want to understand and they want to understand why did people choose to go with 30s? And we talked to them about the, the, the controls that we talked about during this uh, this podcast and uh, and the way that we can secure data as an overlay without impacting their uh, their underlying network infrastructure or the agility of their business. And that piques their interest because they, you know, whilst it may not be something that they need to do right now and today, 
regulatory compliance is changing and it's changing for the for the worse for the for the for the people that have to implement compliance organizations because it's never going to get easier it's only going to get harder or more complex so that's yeah. complex in terms of time in terms of cost and uh, and and unfortunately these CISOs have to be thinking 6 12 18 months down the line so that they can be proactive and not reactive to to new compliance as it comes out yeah, yeah. Look, Paul, it's been really interesting to chat to you. Fascinating subject, slightly different take on something that's obviously concerning a lot of organisations that might be slightly a, a different perspective to, to how they've been speaking about it previously. Yep. So I appreciate your time. Thank you very and, uh, enjoy the school run. I will. You too. Thank you very much. So look, I found this really interesting because obviously we've been talking a lot about data recently, but again, it, it translates to what's going on with lockdown because... Um, you you in terms of like security how we would have thought about it five years ago the network a company's network was something that was quite easily definable or, or it was quite easy to envisage it you know i remember when i when i first started as a recruiter in telecoms kind of drawing lan and wans on a kind of a diagram to get my head around kind of how everything fitted together whereas now you know um your 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 LAN and having kind of 200 people in one office is now blown to pieces because everyone's sitting in their own houses um, and you are so reliant on service providers. So it stands to reason that the way that data travels across an environment and the infrastructure is far more important than the network itself. Yeah, so I found it really interesting when he said it's understanding what you can control as a business now and that's how it's changed, yeah. whereas it's not about what technology you can have. Which ties into this concept of zero trust which yeah. is it's something that I hadn't heard before, if I'm perfectly honest, but the idea that, you know, you, you've got to focus on what you can, what you can, can control rather, but you can't trust infrastructure. You are not in control of all of that infrastructure anymore. So yeah. you have to build security. Um, yeah, sorry, you can't build security into a network and the network needs to be agile. Um, which is is the root cause of this this thing that you'll never be able to to trust infrastructure in quite quite the same way. So therefore, the idea that you know data assurance is is the thing where you, that you can control is such a a kind of a prescient and timely concept that organisations surely should be considering. And I really like the fact that he talks about you know the CISO who feels in control is the one that you should be worried about. Yeah, no, definitely, because you put lots of businesses now, especially now we are more agile working, you you are putting more trust into these providers that you use, um, more cloud technologies, etc. So feeling secure would be the wrong thing. So yeah, I completely agree with that. And but it's, you, you hope as a company, you hope that it is as secure as possible. That's all you can do, really. And then you can obviously focus on your own internal security. But yeah. once it's with them... But in terms of a data breach, I mean, you, you you do think about these service providers being fairly bulletproof, or I do, mm, definitely. which is obviously naive because he talks about misconfiguration and how he kind of talks about misconfigurations being this quite kind of, um, this quite common occurrence where all of a sudden your data might find itself on the wrong network because of a misconfiguration. Um, yeah, I know. And that wasn't something that I'd really realized was in the conversation uh, as much as it obviously is. So, yeah, I really like the fact that he talks about the fact that CISOs need to be concerned with what they don't know. Yeah, definitely. And I think it's clear from what he says is that there needs to be, it's not just security, it's so many layers to security now as well. Mm -hmm. um, 
and like the encryption keys, it's like you'd think that things were that secure, but it, it's clear from what he says is that a lot of companies aren't that secure, actually. Yeah, That's and with I the increase... Yeah, and I mean, right at the beginning of the interview, he talks about, you know, organisations that are bound by regulatory, regulatory compliance, rather, you know, talking about GDPR uh, and, you know, the control of how data travels across the network. Basically, every environment now has that level mm -hmm. of re regulation uh, applied to it through whatever standard it, it might be. So, you know, when he first started kind of saying, you know, we, we work with public sector and whatever else, I thought, okay, they've got quite a, they've got quite a narrow market. And then all of a sudden he says, GDPR and you're like oh hang That's on no this this is basically everybody <laughs> yeah um, exactly I thought that as well I was like oh yeah that's big <laughs> uh, I also like the fact that towards the end of the interview as well he says you can't talk you can't afford to be reactive obviously you know we all we you normally think of reactive as being somewhat of a of a silly um situation to put yourself in as, as any kind of business or planning but the fact that you've got to look towards six to twelve months and that fits in with COVID as well, because it's not look towards a year or two years. You're not putting projects in place that are, you know, that kind of time scale. But six months in advance is kind of where we're at in, in COVID times. Three months to six months is about as far as anyone can look ahead. Mm. Well, it's funny, isn't it? It's like we've all been sort of thrown in the deep end into this working from home life. And people would have had to have upped their security game massively. Or I wonder if companies yeah. just kind of said, right, well, we're going to have to just be reactive in that sense and just deal with it but well, now, it, no, it was probably it was probably the governance side of security that all of a sudden companies went oh heck have we got the right policies have Ooh. we got assurance have you know not we often talk about is it going to be that the networks are going to hold up or, you know is yeah. latency going to be an issue? Which actually, you know, if you're in a trading house, latency and so on, they, they had to have people in their offices at first because they couldn't, they didn't know that they'd be able to cope with the with the um, network speeds that they needed and the amount of data. But for most companies, it's it's not network at all. It's it's policy and procedure. Yeah, I know definitely. Well, yeah, we us as a business, I feel like we're all super high tech now, aren't we? Well, I hope so. Well, no, we're, we're all online and we was just like, right, work from home. And we had all, all the t tools there ready to go. It was great. It's like they knew this yeah, was going to happen. <laughs> it, kind of took, it kind of took a couple of weeks, I think, for everyone to get used to it. But Yeah, definitely. It, it all worked. I know, but I wonder like how many like teething problems there were with businesses um, on the security front. I wonder if people yeah. getting breach, breached and everything like that. There's always yeah. a dodgy person breaching something. And we know that cybercrime um, and attacks went through the roof for obvious reasons. So yeah, it's, 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 it's the time where you needed to be on top of these things. Yeah. Look, um, Paul, thank you for being our guest this week. Um, really interesting insight there from Certies Network. Uh, we'll have a quick break. And then when we come back, we'll talk about Donald Trump. A couple of years ago, Michael and Jacob, two friends from London, were both thinking about their consumption and sustainability as a whole. Michael, a professional footballer at the time, realised he had no options when it came to sustainable sportswear. Overconsumption and underuse was all too common. Hilo was born, a sportswear brand fighting for the planet by changing mindsets. They started with a running shoe made with seven natural materials, and the shoe could be recycled at the end of its life. As a company, they've offset their carbon to beyond zero, making them carbon negative. You can find out more about Hilo and support their mission at hiloathletics.com. That's H-Y-L-O. We support the Hilo movement.
So, uh, Donald Trump has now indefinitely been banned from Facebook, from Instagram. He's been kicked off Twitter. Um, obviously, last week we saw the horrendous situation where he was using social media to spread um, lies and misinformation that led to four people dying uh, in the US Capitol as as the, the government buildings were stormed. But I suppose I'd, I'd just talk about this as a wider point because it's about misinformation more widely, right? And right now, uh, the news this morning, so the podcast is going out tomorrow as we're looking at it, but it's Monday morning. And, you know, Chris Whitty is telling people absolutely batten down the hatches. This is the most dangerous time of the virus. At, a same, at the same time, people's patience will be being tried and there will be a lot of crap and a lot of misinformation going around on social, um, on things like WhatsApp. And it's just really hard to know how governments are supposed to police this without Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter taking action. And the point that I wanted to make was for far too long, they stood by the side and let Trump spread lies until it got to the point where those riots happened. They could have stopped him spreading lies far sooner than they did. And I just wondered what your thoughts were on it because, I don't know, it feels like, you know, going back to that reactive thing, it feels like everything is far too slow to act where stuff like this is in, is concerned. It's like, it, I actually wonder, so just on a larger scale, how they, how they physically can police this. I mean, I don't even know how many um, users there are on, like, facebook and everything like that but things circulate so fast yeah how on earth do you do you stop that there's 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 absolute i see every single day a different conspiracy about covid or you know about people in power like it's just like you can't keep up you don't know what's true and what's not it's like it's actually going to be like when things go on social media it's just going to be one of those things that you see as unbelievable like how i see the sun and like the mirror and the daily mail anything that goes on there i don't believe for a second so mm. i just think it's rubbish so now everything i see on social media i'm like well i just can't you can't believe it because it's just not you it's not legit i almost wonder right like algorithms are purposefully designed to serve you more of the stuff that you click on Mm, definitely. You almost wonder if the answer to misinformation and this polarizing of political opinion, which is part of it, is for algorithms to deliberately serve you stuff opposite to what you've clicked on. It should be like that at the moment. You know what? <laughs> you've clicked on something that we think is possibly a little bit alt-right. So we're going to serve you up a whole load of stuff that's, you know, <laughs> the opposite side of the opinion. And so you're kind of like, Oh, hang on. Because at the minute, it is a massive, it is an echo chamber and it's a polarizing echo chamber. And where you've got stuff that is this important around stuff like the, the pandemic, you yeah. can't have people clicking on, on you know, going down um, YouTube holes of conspiracy theories. Here's the next video similar. Here's the next video similar. Because it's just going to reinforce and then get shared. Why not serve people up the counter argument? Why not force people to see stuff that makes them go, oh, hang on a minute, this is saying something different? Yeah, I like that actually. That's good. Because you can just like, you can, one minute you could be, I remember when this all first ever started and there was like all these conspiracies going on. Your opinion changes a bit so quickly because you're looking at that and you're like, oh my God, that's actually a good point. And it's all you see. Yeah. And then you're like, oh my God, that's a good point. And then you see something else. And then you're like, all of a sudden, you're not believing in the pandemic. Yeah. 
But like, obviously, the problem, you, you do believe it, but it's just like, what do I believe? The, the problem <laughs> is, it's like, you know, they, they want data. So they want to keep people on their networks. So they want to show them more of the stuff that they think that they're interested yeah. in seeing. But that is leading to this exacerbated problem of people having just very narrow points of view that are deeply entrenched. So it might be a little bit brave for the social networks to do this, but why not serve your users something contrary to what they're, they're thinking? Mm. You know, in the same way that if you just read one newspaper, you will only have that editorial slant. It's quite healthy to read a range of it. Like if you just read the mirror or you just read the mail, then you're going to get one view or the other. You know, you read the mirror, it's very pro uh, labor um, and it hates the Tories. You read the mail, loves the Tories, hates Labour. If you read both of them, you do actually get a sense of, all right, there's, as you were saying, there's a lot of shit in both of them, but you do yeah. actually get a bit more of a balanced view of the world where you might go, okay, I can see two sides of an argument here and you're less likely to be a fucking nut, you know, nut job. I just think, uh, this is off topic, but like those newspapers, and I'm sorry if you're a listener and you work there, but I just honestly feel like they put the fear of God in, into everything. And I think if it's not on Sky News, it's not on BBC News, then it's not real. Do you know what I mean? If it's not on the big ones, then what are they talking about? Or if it's not, you know, instead of saying this tweet um, we believe is is false, why not say this tweet comes from five verified sources and is real? Yeah. It's, um, I mean, you could open a can of worms in this subject, couldn't you? Oh yeah, no. I appreciate, I appreciate it's a it's a bit of a it's a it's treading on thin ice. But there, I do think there is a responsibility of big tech here to think a little bit differently. And if it is if it, if it is so hard to police user generated content, why not force content that is the opposite viewpoint rather than just serving up people more of the same to try and at least give people a slightly more balanced view of the world? I agree. I think you're onto something here. I think you well, need I'm to write. Sure, sure other people have said this. <laughs> no, I feel like it's it's if I've said it, it's getting completely ignored because you're just getting fed the same stuff. Oh, it's so Surely. antisocial. It, it, do you know what it is? It's like this. All this stuff that's come out since the pandemic is really is what's made me think. Oh God, I need to get off there. Yeah, it is true. Um, so it's it's only do I actually so in fact it. I know they're trying to feed people that all that information, but actually it's forcing me to actually want to come off it. So is it really good for the app? Yeah, there, there is a good point. If you've got more of a balanced, calming view of the world, you might feel less like less I need negative. to get off this. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And I'm not alone in that. I know quite a few people who are like, oh, I can't, like social media, social media, I'm not, I'm not into it at the moment. And that's my age group as well. Um, so I think... I think we're on something here. We need to we need to flip it over. Should we start our own social media? Positive vibes only. The polar opposite. <laughs> you call it something like the polar opposite. Yeah. Call <laughs> it polar. Can, there you go. Any investors on on you can contact me and Dave. <laughs> polar. What a name. It's got all sorts of nice branding you can put immediately with it. Right. Oh, okay. I love it. Yes. Um that'll do for today's show. We'll be back on Friday. Hayley, thank you for your time. Bye. I don't care. I'm not coming back. Go on, you get out my head. I'm trying to let you go. But y'all still under my skin. What you talk is just noise.